Well, good morning. So glad that you're here today. And some of you, uh, you're visiting with us for the first time. I'm Pastor Scott. And uh, have you been blessed by the worship this morning? Yes. yes. Thank you. And if you are first time with us, we are just glad that you're here. In your program as you came in, uh, there's a connection card. We just love to get to know you and know about, more about you. So if you fill that out, let us know about your presence with us. And thank you for coming today. And um, our regular worship leader, Heather, she's on vacation. And so our team did a great job today stepping up and, and, uh, in her place. And uh, we thank you for the team that we have here. And uh, I, you got to know this. You've got to know this. I, this morning was not, you know, this is a portable church, as you can tell. And, and some mornings are easier than others. And, and this morning, the devil was working everything he could to stop us from having church. I mean that by, for real. Normally they start practicing and warming up at 8 o'clock. And, uh, and it was 9.15 by the time we got the sound working. And these guys pulled off just a great worship set. So thank you, sound guys. Thank you, worship team. You guys did a great job and um, not letting Satan, the devil, defeat us this morning. And uh, they were on a mis- mission to get it done. They were on a mission this morning to get it done. And uh, thinking about mission, talking about mission, have you ever been on a mission? You know, you, you were just focused, you know, on a mission. And you weren't going to stop, and nothing was going to stop you until you got that mission done. You know what I'm talking about, right? I would, I would think it's fair to say that most of us this past week were on a mission every time we got behind the wheel of our cars to avoid the potholes, right? To get from point A to point B to avoid potholes, avoid having or blown out tires, but some of us, that happened. I know, I heard the stories already. And, um, but man, there's been a couple of times, if you were driving behind me this past week, you would have thought that I was intoxicated. I, I mean, I'm driving in the middle of the road, you know, you know I'm just avoiding, you know, giant-sized potholes, trying to get from point A to point B. And today, I want to talk about someone who was on a mission. Someone who was desperate to get from point A to point B. A person who was looking for a personal deliverance, a personal miracle in her life. And we find a story in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus, he meets a man named Jairus. Now Jairus is a leader of the local synagogue in one of the small little villages on the seaside of the Sea of Galilee. And so Jairus approached Jesus and said, Jesus, my daughter is dying. And I need you to come to my house and to heal my daughter. And so Jesus and the disciples started to make a mad pace, walking towards Jairus house. And meanwhile, there was a crowd of people. At this point, Jesus is famous. 
And so a crowd of people recognize Jesus, and so they start to gather around and mob Jesus. And so Jesus is trying to fight his way through the crowd. And while Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house, there was a woman that was slipping through the crowd. And he touched Jesus' garment. I want to pick up the story in verse 24 of Mark chapter 5. The Bible said that Jesus went with him. He's talking about Jairus. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his garment, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. That's an incredible, incredible statement of faith. In verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt it in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Who turned around in the crowd and they asked, who touched my clothes? And the disciples answered, they said, you see the people crowded against you, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking, and he kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now try to picture this whole thing in your mind. Jesus, Jairus, and the disciples, they're making their way through the crowd. They're making their way through the mob. And there was a woman who slipped through the crowd. She was on a mission. And nothing could stop her. She had been bleeding for 12 years. And when she finally pushed close enough, she got down on her knees and desperately grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment. And in that moment, in that moment, the Bible says that she was healed. She moved from desperation to deliverance. And this morning, I want to dig below the surface of this beautiful miracle. And I want to find four personal applications that can help you and I move from desperation to deliverance. The first thought is this. Even in a crowd, Jesus responds to a desperate touch of faith. In the middle of this mob where everybody is elbowing themselves for position. A desperate woman slipped beneath, between, and beside people and finally was close enough to touch the prayer shawl 
that every Jewish man would be wearing, especially a rabbi. And so she saw those little tassels hanging from his garment and said, if I can just touch maybe those prayer tassels, if I can get a hold of that, perhaps I can be healed. And instantly she was healed. And Jesus said, who touched me? Now I can just see Peter rolling his eyes. and said, man, what a dumb, silly question. Everybody's touching you. We're in a crowd Everybody is touching you. And that was true. Many people were around him, touching him with elbows of curiosity, but there was really only one person that touched Jesus with fingers of faith. Jesus with fingers of faith. And that word for touch in the original language doesn't mean to be bumped into, doesn't mean a little finger touch. But that word in the original language means to grab onto, to cling onto, to grab a hold of. I, I, I was in Florida, living in Florida. My wife and I were sitting in the back of our house on a patio. And we were sitting there having our dinner, I believe, and it was a nice, beautiful spring day in January, I think. Um, you know, just want to throw that out there. And uh, so we're sitting there and um, just enjoying the nice day, the nice sunshine. And something caught the corner of my eyes. I noticed about 20, 30 yards from us, a big giant bullfrog. I hopping along really fast. And behind that bullfrog was a five-foot five snake chasing that bullfrog. And it kind of made me jump. Not the bullfrog, but the snake. I mean, a five-foot snake in my backyard, you know, it's not a good thing. But I see the snake chasing after the bullfrog, and, and, and it, got, it got intense. And finally, that snake jumped on that bullfrog and had that bullfrog in his mouth. And, and I was like, oh, man. I said, I can't have this happen in my backyard. <laughs> and so I went and got me a shovel, and I walked back there, and I see a five-foot snake. You know, he's just laying there. And that poor bullfrog, you know, he's, you know, he's doing, he's in the spirit or something, but he's uh, in the mouth of this snake. And, and I, I could care less about the bullfrog. I'm mad that I have a snake in the backyard. And you might say, well, what kind of snake? And I don't know if it was a poisonous snake. I don't know if it was a, a, a good snake. You know, to me, a good snake is a dead snake. That's a good snake right there. All right? And so... You can argue it's good for the ecosystem. I don't care. I've got enough snakes in Florida. One less, it's not going to hurt my ecosystem in my backyard. And so I got that shovel, and, 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 that, and that snake was not letting go of that bullfrog. And, and I got that shovel, and I started stabbing, you know, that snake. Right? Because that's what's going to happen to that snake. And meanwhile, that snake, even though I was trying to destroy the snake, he still wouldn't let go of that bullfrog. I mean, that bullfrog was still in that mouth trying to escape. And finally, I had to, you know, do it a little, little bit closer to the head, maybe pinch a nerve or something, all right? And finally, that bullfrog can thank me today that he's alive. Because that dead snake is gone. He wouldn't let go of that bullfrog. And I think about that woman she wouldn't let go. She was desperate. She said, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes. And if I got to grab a hold of Jesus until I get a miracle. And in that moment, 
She grabbed it. Like a drowning person trying to grab onto a life ring. She grabbed and got Jesus' attention in a heartbeat. Now, was she the only one suffering in the crowd? Of course not. But she was the only one in the crowd that grabbed a hold of Jesus in faith. Now, think about this. I think it's sad that there will be thousands and thousands and thousands of people in churches all around the world today. And in one way or another, most of us will touch Jesus with our songs. Most of us will touch Jesus with our offerings or by reading the Bible. But very few will reach out desperately to touch Jesus. Now, I pray that today, that you begin to have a desperate desire to want more of Jesus, to want more of Jesus, not just to touch him with your elbow of curiosity and to and the, and the sing the song, but to reach out behind the music and behind the message to see the person, the person of Jesus Christ. This desperate woman was suffering in three different ways. But she teaches us that you can reach out to Jesus when you're suffering physically. Here was a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years in a very complex, you know, disorder, blood disorder that she had. She was anemic and weak, probably very tired all the time. But she noticed something happened immediately in her body when she reached out and touched Jesus. And just like Jesus, you can reach out to him if you have perhaps a chronic medical issue in your life, a medical problem, you can reach out to Jesus. You call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to intervene in my life. I need you to help me through this pain, through this issue. And oftentimes, we go to everybody else before we even get to Jesus. Jesus becomes the last case option. We touch Jesus at the end. When Jesus said, you should touch me first. Reach out to me first. And just like this woman, you can reach out to Jesus when you're strained financially. When you're going through a financial issue, a financial strain in your marriage or in your family. This woman has spent all of her money on doctors and nothing works. She bought all the essential oils and nothing works. Nothing was happening. She sees something on Facebook Live on one of those advertisements, instant healing. She said, I gotta try that. I mean, she was looking for all the answers. And nothing seemed to work. And it was costing her a pretty penny. She was broke. And I can imagine she was frustrated. She was frustrated financially as well. And some of you can relate because your most sensitive nerve right now runs through your wallet. And you're going through some financial strain. And I'm here to say that you can reach out to Jesus and Jesus, I need your help through this. We're going through a rough time. And before you go through this person and that person or this organization, cry out to Jesus and Jesus, I need you. I need your help. And just like this woman, you can reach out to Jesus when you're struggling emotionally. Emotionally. Think about it. This woman was considered an outcast. According to Leviticus chapter 15, her bleeding disorder made her ceremonially unclean. She couldn't even worship. 
in the temple. She couldn't, she couldn't be even around people. Anytime she, she sat down or any person that was in contact with her, they become unclean, and they had to ceremonially wash themselves so that they could be clean after being in contact with her. She, she was required to walk down the road warning people, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. She was an outcast because of her disorder. She didn't ask for the disorder, but because of it, she had to be isolated. Well, some of you feel the same sense of loneliness and isolation right now. You're, you're not ceremonially unclean, but you feel like you're some kind of an outcast. One of my favorite authors, who in fact was Billy Graham mentor, so he's, a, he's, an, he's, he's old, old, old. All right, this was before Billy Graham, you know, he was a professor in college in Florida Bible Institute. And, and his name was Vance Habner, and I got most of his books. And he commented on this miracle with this insight. He said, this woman was shy and timid. She was not in the habit of elbowing her way through the crowds. But when we are desperate enough, we'll do anything to get through God. Our Lord said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Thirst is not casually wanting a drink of water. When we really, really thirst, water must be had, and we will drive through any obstacles to get it. Christians do not drink of the living water because there is no burning, feverish, consuming thirst after God. The situation is desperate. But the saints are not. I pray that we begin to have a desperate call for God. We start crying out to God in every area of our need. We cry after him. We thirst after him, even when we're not in a, a financial strain, or when we're not in a physical strain, or an emotional strain. I pray that we reach out to God all the time because we need him desperately all the time. We need to thirst after him, thirst after his righteousness. All kinds of suffering. I pray that today that we'll reach out, that you'll reach out to Jesus and grab a hold of him today, a desperate hold of Jesus. Here's the second application I want to make. Every miracle comes at a personal cost to Jesus. When Peter observed that everyone was touching Jesus, the Lord knew that one person had touched him with expecting faith. And here's what happened when that woman got healed. Look at verse number 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. The scripture reveals over and over and over again that the blessing that Jesus had to offer always cost him a huge price. I'm not surprised when you read in the Bible that you find him sleeping and tired a lot. He wore out. I mean, even in the middle of a storm, 
He's in the middle of that boat sleeping. He was tired, wore out. I think about the ultimate miracle when Jesus laid down his life on the cross. Our salvation is a free gift only because Jesus paid it all. It cost him something. The prophet Isaiah, he talked about this and he prophesied what it would cost the Savior to save mankind and give salvation for the world. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 5, the Bible says, but he was pierced for our transgression. In other words, that means that Jesus allowed the Roman soldiers to drive nails into his hands and his feet, all because of my transgression, my sin, and your sin. He would pierce for our transgression. He would crush for our iniquity. That means that Jesus bore my sins and your sins on his body, on that tree, and he was literally crushed with the weight of the sin of the world. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Punishment was on him. A holy God had to judge sin. And what is the punishment for sin? Hell. The Bible talks about hell. And Jesus experienced the hell of separation from God. And that's why he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered the torment. He suffered the pain. He suffered the darkness in the middle of the day. Why? So that you and I could have peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. And that's what it cost Jesus to heal that woman. That's what it cost Jesus to heal us of our sin sickness. It cost him. It cost him. Every miracle comes at a personal cost to Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never asked Jesus in your life, he's already died on the cross for you. He's waiting for you to receive him and to accept him into his life so that, you can, so that he can be your Lord and your Savior. He did that for you. He already gave his life, willingly gave his life. Could have called the angel from heaven and said, come save me. But he didn't. How can I just imagine the angels in heaven, waiting to come down and, to say, and looking at God the Father and say, God, the, you know, Heavenly Father, to say the word will come down and save the one and only begotten Son. And God the Father said, hold, hold, don't go. He got to do this for the cost and for the sins of the world. Every miracle comes at a personal cost of Jesus. Here's the third application. Jesus wants us to confess our faith before others. When Jesus asked, who touched me? He wasn't asking for information. He already knew the answer. He already knew who touched him. What he was doing is out of compassion for this woman, he was giving her a chance to publicly proclaim to publicly announce, to publicly confess what had happened to her. 
we look at verse number 33, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. It seemed like that this woman would have been content to slip away, to hide behind or hide below the radar, and just dismiss herself quietly. By the way, she didn't just sneak up and steal part of the power of Jesus. Jesus willingly gave that to her. It was no surprise that Jesus felt the grab of his garment. He knew that was happening. Jesus was God. God knows. He's all-knowing. Jesus knew what was happening. And Jesus willingly surrendered to her when he felt her touch of faith. But what Jesus wanted to do was give her a chance to publicly confess of his power. And the same is true today. The same is true today. Jesus wants us to go public without testimony. He wants us to go public with how he had changed our lives. There's no such thing as a secret agent or a, or a closet Christian. There's no such thing as like that. Jesus invites us. He requires us. He expects us to openly confess our faith and not be ashamed of our faith. Next Sunday, we have baptism. And baptism is one the best way to publicly proclaim that faith in Jesus. We don't believe that baptism saves a person, but we believe that this is the next step of, hey, this is what Jesus did in my life. And I give him our glory. I give him our praise. He gets the credit. I don't. The reason why Jesus is making a difference in my life is because I reach out by faith and got a hold of him in my life. Baptism. It's a great way to publicly announce and to publicly announce and confess your faith. I'm going to challenge you. If you're here today and you've never taken that next step of believer's baptism, I'm going to challenge you to, to step up and be a part of that next week. Be a part of that. When I was seven years old, I remember coming forward and giving my heart to Jesus and then taking that next step in believer's baptism. Where I publicly announced that Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior. He's making a difference in my life. And he'll make a difference in your life. One of my favorite baptisms at Lake Point Church was back in 2000 and, and, uh, let's see, 2012. An 84-year-old man who'd gone on and passed away a few years ago and went to heaven. An 84-year-old man. He came and said, I need to get baptized. I asked him, what's your story? I need to know your story before we get baptized. You know, how, you know Jesus. And I said, yes. I served in World War II. And I was in New York City. And while I was in New York City, I was invited to attend a tent revival. And there was a young man named Billy Graham at the tent revival. Preaching. 
And this was a big tent revival. But I went, and I went a couple nights. And I listened to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I knew that I had to reach out and touch Jesus by faith. And he said, I went forward with the mass of people during the invitation. At a Billy Graham crusade, every invitation with the sound, just as I am, without one plea. And he would say, it doesn't matter who you are, just as you come, just as you are, you come at the foot of Jesus. Everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. doesn't matter how much you make, how much you don't make, what color your skin is. We're all equal, and we all need a Savior. And they came forward that night. And said, so, you know, Scott, never took that next step in believer's baptism. And here I am 50 years later. 50 years later, I want to make that public. Now, I wish I had done this earlier, but we had the distinct honor to baptize him and his family baptized Mr. Jerry. Many of you remember Jerry, and he was baptized. I remember the story of my friend. Yesterday, we had a men's breakfast, and, and one of our speakers for the breakfast yesterday was from Irfan, one of our missionaries. Irfan is doing incredible work in Iraq. and doing so many ministries in Iraq. He's working remotely. He lives here, raising funding, trying to support seven churches. Seven churches in Iraq. And God is using Irfan in this capacity. He does a lot of training with these pastors and, you know, FaceTime and different stuff like that. He traveled twice a year to Iraq to minister to um, the pastors and, and to the community. And Irvin shared a story a few years ago. It just grabbed my heart. There was a young man in, the, in one of the largest towns or one of the largest cities in Iraq. And this man was named Sam. He doesn't give us a real name, but he said, we'll call this man named Sam. And he said, Sam... It's the third most influential people in the town, in the city of over several million people. He's high up. And one of the pastors started witnessing to Sam. Sam, of course, was Muslim. And Sam, for the first time, heard the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, all right, I'm going to reach out and touch the garment of Jesus. I'm going to reach out in faith and touch Jesus. And because of that decision, it cost him, his family, his family, his own, his own daughters, own wife, and disowned him. Of course, he lost his job. But one of the greatest things he's ever did, that's using his life. And then he said, in the middle of a very dark side of the world, he looked at the pastor and said, I want to get baptized. You see, baptism here in America is a different story. It doesn't cost you too much. But when you get baptized in Iraq, it costs you almost everything. And he got baptized and took that giant step of faith and believe of baptism. And he announced to all those in present, that Jesus is the Lord of my life. Now, I'm not ashamed. And it may cost me everything, but I know I've gained Jesus. 
and he is my everything. Urban kept up with him over the couple of years. Last time Urban ran into him, about a year and a half, two years late ago, you know, ago the last time he ran into Sam, he was in Iraq. Urban said, Sam, how's it going? He said, man, you know, it's tough. I don't know how to make it week to week. My life is in danger. People don't want to kill me. I'm isolated. I'm alone. But Jesus is my everything. And then he began to show open a new pamphlet that he made. Get this. That blows my mind. He made a pamphlet, and on top of that pamphlet were ten arrows that the Quran is teaching that the Bible fixes. And Urban's eyes got really big. And Urban more concerned about his safety. He said, dude, Sam, that's great, but you can't pass this around. Look at him, big, big trouble. I mean, you just don't pass this stuff around in a Muslim country and tell people that the Quran is messed up. And he looked at Urban, Sam did. And Sam said, what else do I have left to lose? Jesus is my everything. And I am proud to point out. I'm proud to announce. And I want to publicly confess. I want people to know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And here's this woman. Jesus wanted to give her a chance to announce that Jesus it's a miracle-working God that he can save and restore and make a person new again. And she pronounced it, and she said, yes, I was healed because I touched Jesus' garment. I love that. Here's the fourth thing. When we trust Jesus, we are welcomed into his family. Verse 34, and look how Jesus responded to this woman. And I want you to underline that word if you have it on your Bible or on your handout notes. Daughter. 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 Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Your faith has healed you. If that woman hadn't come back and confessed Jesus, she would have missed the blessing of hearing Jesus call her daughter. Jesus honored her by calling her one of his own, a part of his family. You know what a daughter of a king is called a princess. And one day, this woman was changed from a lonely, suffering, outcast, unknown woman to a princess. She was welcomed into the family of God. 
But there's another greater miracle here, greater than having her bleeding stop. And I want you to see this. She was saved. She found salvation. She came for physical healing. But salvation came also. Look at verse 34 again. Put that verse, can you put 34 back up on the screen, please? 34 here. It said, daughter, your faith has healed. I want you to choke at that word healed. In the Greek language, when she came for a healing in the other verses, hoping to get healed, it's the word iomai, which means a medical healing. She was looking for a medical healing. But in verse 34, she said use a different word than iomai. Your faith has not iomai, but he uses the word sozo. What is the word for salvation? It's the same word that we see in the next verse I want to look at, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. For it is by grace you have been sozo, saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. This woman came for a physical healing, I or my, but she walked away with spiritual healing as well. She was so zoed. That's not the real Greek way to say it, but I'm going to say it today. She was so zoed. She was saved because of her faith in Christ. She was a broken woman with a broken heart. Bitterness and frustration, she had questions, confusions, dark memories of the past 12 years. But she found healing for all of those problems. When she heard Jesus said, my daughter, take heart. Your faith has healed so-so you. The same thing happened to us when we touched Jesus by faith. John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who received Christ through their life, what happened? To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And for those who have been sozo by Christ, through faith in Christ, you can hear Jesus say to you, daughter, son, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman walked away, not with a temporary healing, but with an eternal healing. And she came and became a part of the grand family of God. Sometimes, God allows us to reach the point of desperation so that we can totally depend on him. Let me say that again. Sometimes, God allows you and me to reach the point of 
desperation so that we will totally depend on him. One of the biggest bad quotes that I hear from Christians, and you've heard it too, and it's a quote that says, God won't lay more on you than you can bear. And you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. God won't lay more on you than you can bear. That's not biblical. The truth is that God will sometimes allow us to get to the point of utter and complete desperation so that we will depend totally um, on him. Now here's my question as we close. Here's my question. Are you just part of the crowd today? Are you just part of the crowd? Or will you reach out and touch Jesus today? Will you reach out in faith and get a hold of Jesus? I have this book called Intimate Moments with the Savior. And in that book is a prayer that expresses my desire, and I hope that it will express your desires as well. Here's the prayer in that book. I confess, O Lord, how often I have followed in the crowd pressed around you. I have touched you, but only in the rush hour of religious activity. Sunday after Sunday, I take my part in the crowd as I sit through the service. I sing the hymns, and I hear the sermons. I read my Bible, say my prayers, give my money. How could I be so close to your presence, yet so far from your power? Could it be that my arms are folded? Could it be that my hands are full? God, I pray that if my arms are complacent, that you will unfold them and outstretch longing for you. And if my hands are full, God, I pray that you will empty them so that I might cling only to you. Jesus is here. It's as if he's passing through this room, this crowd right now. Will you reach out and touch him by faith with desperation as we walk a life of deliverance while we walk the life that he wanted to live, I pray that we will every day desperately want more and more of Jesus. Only he can take you from the place of desperation to deliver us. Our Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you today. God, I ask that you will help us. God, I pray that today we will cry out to you with open arms, with empty hands. And I pray that we'll be desperately grabbing a hold of you in our lives. No matter what it might be, God, I, God, I pray that we will step out in faith and perhaps, God, there's someone in this, in this room today that needs to be so-so. They need a spiritual healing. They've never asked you into their life. They don't have a relationship with you. And God, they have been searching the whole world over, looking for 
something to satisfy their soul. But they have a God-sized hole in their heart, and they're looking for everything to fill it, and they're desperate. God, I pray that today. They see the answer, and the answer is you. God, I pray that today that they will come to a saving knowledge of what you've done. You've already paid the, the cost. You've already paid the price. God, I pray that today they can reach out for spiritual healing so that they can live a life of peace, a peace that we can't explain, but a deep inner peace that only you can give. And so God, perhaps there's someone today that that's their next step. Today, they need to ask Jesus into their life. No one looking around, eyes are closed, and says, God, you're talking about me. Today, I'm hearing a message. And I've never reached out in faith to Jesus Christ. And today, I want you. And you say, what must I do to do that, Scott? What do I need to do? And you simply pray a prayer of faith that says like this, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I am lost without you. I am hopeless without you. And I'm on my way to eternity without you. But today, I don't have all the answers, but today, I step out of faith. I reach out in faith. And I get a hold of you, Jesus. And I invite you to come to my life to forgive me of all my sins. My past sins, my present sins, my future sins. You forgive it, all my sins. Now come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross and for paying the price so that I could be delivered. Thank you for your salvation. I pray that I will live out my faith publicly for you. And if you're here today, no one's looking to say, Scott, today, as Jesus was walking by, I reach out and I grab a hold of him. I ask Jesus to come in my life. I ask for spiritual healing, for salvation to come in my life. He says, God, I pray that prayer, and I ask Jesus today to come into my heart. Today, death was arrested because Jesus came to my life. And I just ask him today. He says, God, that's me today. I pray that for you. No one's looking. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up on your chair. I just want to see who you are so I can celebrate with you personally. But that's Jesus. says, God, I have Jesus in my heart today. I ask him in my life. Will you simply raise your hand? Anybody in this room, in this, in this room this morning, you ask Jesus to come into your life. Anybody here? Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, I know that there are others here. We have a relationship with you, but God, we haven't been desperate for you. Not like we once were. We've lost that first love. God, I pray that today that desperation for you comes back in our lives every day. 
that we need you more and more. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this miracle. This woman who had a mission went from desperation to deliverance. And you and I pray. Amen.